We've been talking about serve big for a number of weeks. I want to visit that theme again. My original plan was to visit it for two more weeks after today. I might change that plan. Just stay tuned for further announcements. But uh, as I think about the scripture, the call of God on our lives, the things that he's given us to do, uh, the example he gave for us, you see this idea of serving, giving our lives away for others. You see it everywhere. The Gospel of Luke, chapter 4, verses 16 through 19. He went to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue as was his custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom to the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. It's hard for us to put ourselves in that setting and in that moment. But let's try for a moment to to think about what was happening there. Jesus was with the religious leaders, taking his turn as the one who would read from the Torah, the scripture of God. And as he read that day, he read the appointed passage, and yet it took a different twist, a different turn The people had long prayed, as you know, for Messiah to come, for the promised one of God to come and to restore Israel to her promise and her glory. And as Jesus sits there that day, he reads that Old Testament prophecy. It becomes not just an ancient prophecy, but it becomes a living prophecy fulfilled in the reading. Because as he's reading... He continues to say, here I am, friends. I'm the one that you've been waiting on. The prophecy given of old is alive in you today because I'm here. I am the one who the Spirit has appointed to be your Messiah. I'm the one who has come to proclaim good news to the poor, but to everyone. My Father has sent me to proclaim freedom. My Father has sent me to give recovery of sight to the blind, both physically and spiritually. I've come to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Jesus does an interesting thing here in coming to this Old Testament passage and quoting it again for the people gathered that day, but also as he begins his ministry. He does an interesting thing He takes this good news, this message of God that has been made alive in him, and he proclaims it, he declares it all across the the city, the community, and the surrounding area. He proclaims this message of good news that has been birthed in him. But he does something more than that. He, He combines hope. And the message of good news, he combines it with healing. He takes the gospel of good news and he says, not only will it be good news for us spiritually, but it will be good news 
as we address the social needs around us, you always see with Jesus both the proclamation of the message of good news and the demonstration of what good news looks like. You always see that with him. He, he goes through the city and he stops to pray for people and he, he restores their sight. He sees the sick and he prays for them. And they stand up from their bed of affliction and, and move forward with life. To the very point, sometimes it's the crippled one who'd been laying on a mat for year after year after year. And Jesus just takes him by the hand and says, walk, let's walk, let's go. He restored people. There was the demonstration and proclamation of the gospel of Jesus was always combined. That's been true in the church, too. I want to talk to you about a series of people who have followed the message of Jesus and combined this gospel of good news while at the same time addressing social needs that they saw. One of the early ones was a man named Dionysus. He was the bishop of Alexandria. Obviously, you realize that that picture you're seeing is someone's idea of what Dionysus looked like because Kodak wasn't around in those days. In the year 260 A.D., Dionysus wrote these paragraphs. He said, The most of our brethren were unsparing in their exceeding love and brotherly kindness. He's talking about plague that had come to their community. They held fast to each other and visited the sick fearlessly, ministering to them continually, serving them in Christ. And they died with them most joyfully, taking the affliction of others and serving the sickness from their neighbors to themselves and willingly receiving their pains. And many who cared for the sick, many who cared for the sick and gave strength to others, died themselves, having transferred to themselves their death. But with the heathen, then, everything was quite opposite. They deserted those who began to be sick and fled from their dearest friends. And they cast them out into the streets when they were half dead. And they left the dead like refuge, refuse, unburied. You see, when the good news is proclaimed, there's always the demonstration of that good news in the heart and the life. And for the people that Dionysus is talking about, those Christians in the very earliest of days, within the first 200 and a few years of of the founding of the church, they had already begun seeing that the compassion and the love of Christ in them compelled them to make a difference in the social issues that they faced as society. That has continued on across the church. You you know the name St. Patrick. You, You know his story. Most of you will know his story of bringing Christianity to Ireland. He's still worshipped and revered, although his day seems to be more about a celebration of alcohol than a celebration of the coming of Christ to a place. But that's another story for another time. But the early Christians ministered to and showed hospitality toward the poor, the orphans, the elderly, the sick, the mine workers, the prisoners. Throughout the centuries, the church played a major role in community transformation and led the way in meeting social needs and curing social ills. St. Patrick's Ireland, for example, was considered to be too barbaric for the Romans to conquer and to, 
and to divide. And so they left it alone. But in the 5th century, Patrick moved there. He, had, he carried out 28 years of sustained ministry. And his band of followers planted about 700 churches and ordained perhaps 1,000 priests. Within his lifetime, 30 or 40 or maybe more of Ireland's 150 tribes became substantially Christian. But Patrick did more than plant churches. He didn't stop with just sharing the good news. He shared good needs and hope, and he worked for social change because it fit the compassion and love of Christ that was within him. He committed to creating a better life for the Irish people. He was the first man to speak and crusade against slavery. Within his lifetime, or maybe soon after, because it was so long ago it's hard to track dates exactly, the Irish slave trade came to a halt. Other forms of violence, such as murder and intertribal warfare, decreased. And his communities, the places he established, modeled the Christian way of faithfulness, generosity, and peace to all the Irish. You know the name Wilbur Wilbur, William Wilberforce. Member of England's parliament, a committed Christian. He's probably best known for his tireless commitment to the abolition of slavery. He introduced the first bill to abolish slavery that was brought forth in England's House of Commons. In 1791, it was defeated, not by any small measure. Roundly, soundly defeated, just like some of your hope and happenings for whichever of your least favorite candidates on Tuesday. (laughs) But he didn't give up. He continued to fight for the same cause for 16 years until the slave trade in England was finally abolished in 1807. The revival in the Great Awakening in the 1700s included both this idea of proclamation and demonstration of the gospel. The church took off their gloves, so to speak, and took on some of the toughest problems of the day. John Wesley led a number of revivals in the 18th century, but he did more than just talk about uh, the, the spiritual reform of the heart. He talked also about social reform. Among other things, he campaigned for prison and labor reform. He encouraged the building of orphanages and schools. He battled against the slave trade. He gave medicines and health treatment to the poor. He worked to help resolve unemployment. He set up accounts for making loans to the poor. And he personally gave away considerable sums of money to people in need. Wesley exhorted his middle-class followers, because that's mostly who was uh, coming to his sessions, class teachings, his preaching sessions. He said, if those who gain all they can and save all they can will likewise give all they can, then the more they gain, the more they will grow in grace and the more treasure they will lay up in heaven. And he taught a very powerful uh, scriptural truth about stewardship. And that was when we give, we gain And that became so ingrained into his class, small group settings across the land that 
they're, they're working to gain and to save and to be good stewards, allowed them to give so that they could address the social needs of the day and take care of the, the needs for justice. And, and it was very much a part of what became the Methodist church out of the John Wesley Methodism. In 1865, William and Catherine Booth began what finally became known and is known to us today as the Salvation Army. A contemporary of them wrote, Probably during no hundred years in the history of the world have there been saved so many thieves, so many gamblers, so many drunkards and prostitutes as during the past quarter of a century through the Salvation Army. Why? Because they took this gospel of good news and they made the demonstration of good news and linked them together. Showing that when we come to love God with all of who we are, that that love and compassion will flow through us to touch the lives of others who are hurting and broken and needy. You see, it wasn't just Jesus who said, today this is fulfilled among you, when he said, I'm the one that was prophesied of old that proclaimed uh, healing for the blind and release of the prisoner and so on. Uh, he, he gave that commission to us as his followers to be involved in the work of doing good. The work of doing good. The work of leveraging God's compassion so that it touches every place of darkness and brokenness of where we can reach. Christians have been at the forefront of establishing child labor laws, schools, universities, orphanages, hospitals. Christians always show up to aid in famine relief and uh, rescue missions. Christian leaders such as William Booth and Jane Addams of Hull House in Chicago led the way in restoring the bodies and minds as well as the souls of those who were converted. You see, the call of Christianity isn't just to share the message of Jesus and to share the teaching of, of the gospel, of who he is and what he offers us spiritually. But, but the call of, for us as, as followers of Jesus is to know that gospel message inside and out, forward and backward, but to embrace it in such a way and hold it in such a way that the love of God so overflows in us that wherever we see brokenness, we respond with help. Wherever we see people hurting and in need, we leverage the compassion for good in the world. As part of this series, I reminded us, those that were here that Sunday anyway, that... uh, We were created for good works. It's not that we're saved by them. Our faith in Jesus is what saves us. We can't do enough good things to earn our way to heaven. It's all about embracing Jesus. But the scripture is clear that when we embrace Jesus, we embrace this servant way of living. Giving ourselves so that others can experience the love and the mercy and the grace and the goodness of God that we have experienced. We're created for good deeds. We engage in good deeds because good deeds benefit others. 
Galatians chapter 6, verse 10 says, Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially those who belong to the family of believers. But I would encourage you just to circle either physically in your Bible or mentally in your mind that the, the call to doing good is to do good to all people. The scripture doesn't give us a way out of saying you only have to do good to those that are in the church. It doesn't say you only have to do good to the people you like. It doesn't say you only need to worry about doing good to uh, your family or your extended network of close associates. The scripture says, do good to all people. All people. 1 John chapter 3, verses 17 and 18. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need, but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. Why do we do good deeds? Because it, it benefits others. It doesn't take a lot of looking to realize that there are places of brokenness in this world that are so deeply challenged that believers have to step up. Sometimes we think that's other communities, other places, but, but not where we live. We drive through our modern streets and our nice cars and go to our nice houses and we pass the, the homes and residences of our nice neighbors and friends and neighbors in the community. And, and we think, you know, there is brokenness, but boy, I don't see it where I live. And yet it's right here among us. Some of you will remember our surprise as a congregation a number of years ago now when uh, we started uh, being a little bit more aware of things were going around us and, and through one of our families discovered that there were homeless, two homeless men living under a bridge just around the corner on 16 Mile Road on Metro Parkway and they started coming to worship with us. They came for a long time before they kind of disappeared and went their way. But that was a surprise to us, as I recall. We didn't think there were homeless people in our community. But there are. If you go just across Metro Parkway and off to the right in that little housing complex between Dodge Park and Van Dyke and 15 Mile and 16 Mile, you'll find a school, a little elementary school back there. That little elementary school, it's a part of Warren Consolidated School Systems, and I'll think of the name of it probably about 3.30 this afternoon when I can't tell you. But that school, the majority of people in that school, children in that school, are not from here. They don't look like us. They're poor immigrants who have found their way to Sterling Heights, and they don't have much. And yet... We look at our children and we watch them going up and down the street, the kids that are going, and we think, well, everybody seems to be doing pretty good, but they aren't. Not everyone is. And you don't have to look far to find needs. Why do we do good deeds? Because there are broken, hurting people that need our help. It's about the love of Jesus in us. We engage in good deeds because those good deeds glorify God. 
You know the scripture of the Sermon on the Mount. I preached this scripture a couple weeks ago as a part of this series. But let's look at it from a little different perspective as you turn a dime in a different way. You see a different facet. Matthew 5 verse 16 says in the same way. Let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. That they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Why do we do good deeds? Because those good deeds we do bring glory and praise and honor to God our Father. You know, that should always be our motive and why we live the way we live As Christians, people should always be able to see a reflection of God in us that causes them to give him praise. It's why becoming a Christian isn't just about asking Jesus to forgive us of our sins. It's about asking him to change our character, sometimes our habits, so that who we are becomes a reflection of him. And for some of us, that means we we let go of some old habits when we become Christians. For others of us, it means we start doing new things. Sometimes it means we change our vocabulary because the words we use don't bring glory to God. Why do we do good deeds? Because we want God to be praised and honored at all times and in every way. And it's part of our responsibility to live in such a way that our lives bring glory to him. We engage in good deeds because good deeds prove our faith. Many of you know a passage of scripture that talks about um, a man who is paralyzed being brought to Jesus. It's recorded in, in Mark and Luke and maybe a couple of the other gospels, but I know for sure it's in Mark and Luke. If you want to read it, I'm not going to read the whole thing, but if you want to read it, you can look and look. And, <laughs> you can look, and look. look in Luke chapter 5, verse 17. And following. And Jesus is teaching. Teachers of the law are sitting there. There's a crowd there. There's some people there. And power came on Jesus, the scripture says, to heal the sick. And some men were carrying this paralyzed man on a mat, but they couldn't get to him. They couldn't find a way through the crowd. But they would not be deterred. Uh, the construction of homes in, in the Middle East at that time uh, was very common for there to be an outer stairway that would go up to uh, what would, in essence, be a, another room on the roof of a home. wouldn't be enclosed. It would be out, an outdoor room like a patio. And so they went up, carried this man up, beat a hole in the ceiling, and lowered him down to Jesus because healing had come and they wanted their friend to be healed. Here's what Jesus says. When Jesus saw their faith, saw their faith, he said, friend, your sins are forgiven. There's, there's a whole other sermon that I'm not going to preach this morning in that last part, friend, your sins are forgiven. But I want us to emphasize when Jesus saw their faith, <laughs> good deeds, Prove our faith. The things you and I do to bless and benefit others aren't because we want some great reward. They're because we want our faith to be seen and we want it to be tried and we want it to be genuine. We want it to be true. And we want God to see that. 
We want to demonstrate to him just how, how much we love him and how much we've committed our lives to him. The teachers of the law in that particular setting uh, got upset when he said uh, your sin, his sins are forgiven uh, because they, they thought that blasphemous because they didn't recognize Jesus as God. And so here's how Jesus responded. Which is easier, to say your sins are forgiven or to say get up and walk? But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the paralyzed man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. Immediately he stood up in front of them that what he had been lying, uh, took what he had been lying on and went home praising God. (laughs) I don't think he was the only one praising God. Everyone was amazed. Everyone was amazed and gave praise to God. They were filled with awe and said, we have seen remarkable things today. You see, when, when we are doing good deeds in the name of Jesus, our faith is shown, demonstrated, proven. Those of you that are history buffs might know this, but when, when the communists took over Russia in 1917, uh, they began to vigorously persecute the, the church. But they did an interesting thing. They did not make Christianity illegal. As a matter of fact, in their constitution of 1918, they guaranteed freedom of religion. But they did one other thing. While they didn't make it illegal for the church to exist... They made it illegal for the church to do any good works. No longer could the church fulfill its historic role of feeding the hungry, educating the young, housing the orphan, or caring for the sick. The state would handle those duties, so they outlawed the church from doing it. You make whatever parallels you want to the United States today. I'm not going to do that. But what was the result? After after 70 years, the church in Russia was largely irrelevant in its society. See, you take away the service, you take away the good deeds, and you take away the church's power and influence and evangelistic effectiveness. The power of the gospel is combining its life-changing message with selfless service. Why do we serve? Because it brings praise to our Father. And it glorifies his name. And it gives proof to our faith. One more reason we engage in good deeds is because good deeds open the door to share the gospel. They always do. It always does. Pastor Chip Sweeney of Perimeter Church in Atlanta, one of the great churches of our country, says, as we serve those, excuse me, as we serve those in need, It opens the door to share about the hope that we have. People's hearts are open when they see that you really care about them and their needs. Just the fact that you are serving will provoke questions for which you must have answers. People ask, why do you do this? And that's your chance. You see, you you get a chance to hear their story. You work with them and meet them and 
try to help them in their need, but that opens the door for you to share your story of why you're doing the things you're doing and to talk about how God has touched your life and given you a compassion to help others. And as you hear their story and tell your story, that opens the door to tell God's story. To tell the story of Jesus, the one who has come to give us life in all its fullness, in all its blessing, in all its good. You see, you just can't divorce being a Christian from demonstrating the life of a Christian in your daily activities. Being a Christian isn't just coming to church on Sunday morning and spending an hour or two with God's people in worship. Being a Christian is about the everyday opportunity to live the Christ life, a life of compassion, a life of love, a life of mercy, a life of giving, so that others might find Christ. As you walk through your week this week, take note. Don't be so busy that you're laser focused on just what's happening in your life, your responsibilities. But look around you, observe, listen, find ways, find places, find brokenness, and find a way to help, a way to serve, a way to bless others might be something very simple. It might be something very profound and, and deep. But let the mercy and the love of Christ that is in you overflow to bless and touch others. That's our call as Christians. Let's stand together and pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you that today, this day, We know from our own experiences what the joy is of both serving and being served, of doing good deeds and receiving them. Lord, I ask you to help us as your people to be people of great compassion, of tender-hearted mercy, people who are not selfish but are selfless, So that we could find the broken and the needy and the hurting. And we could share the love and compassion of Christ to meet their need. To lift them up to a better place. But also then to find a way to share the story of the gospel of Jesus. Because that story changes everything. Help us to be your servants. In Jesus name we pray. Amen.